Scott Sharp joining us and welcome to Gardening Talkback to a new RFM. What have you got to talk about? Morning. I thought we'd talk about today Sasanqua camellias because they're all out in flower at the moment. Uh, Sapiums, which is a deciduous tree, which will give you lovely colour at the moment. And uh, mutations and sports in nature, how do plants change and evolve? And I also thought we'd talk about drone bees if we could. Camellias come into their own about this time of year, don't they? Yeah, they certainly do. And it's a, it is a beautiful time of year. I, mine's probably gone a little bit too crazy at home. I've got like this mountain of, of pink petals all all over the uh, boogie boards that the kids left out there in the front yard last time they uh, they used them in summer. But nevertheless, it's still looking quite pretty. I don't know what's going to happen when I sort of get rid of that huge amount of petals. but uh, The boogie boards will still be there. They'll still be there. I'm sure they'll clean off in the surf quite nicely once we back, get back through to spring again. But look, the plants are looking beautiful and it's a great time to get into your local garden centre and choose a uh, Sasanqua camellia at the moment because that's obviously when there's going to be the, the greatest variety for you to go in there and choose. Uh, and because there are so many different, you know, flower colours to actually choose from. I guess the plant is, uh, you know, pretty standard uh, with camellias. Yeah, most of them, uh, you know, get up to about five metres tall if you want them to. Uh, they're very good for hedging, though. There are some dwarf uh, camellias. Uh, Little Leanne is one that springs to mind. Uh, petite pink. Uh, so they're very nice smaller leaves, but they're small leaf plants. Uh, but they are smaller growing as well. Very, very nice plants. But most of the other ones can get quite tall. Now, people think that they're they're slow growing but they're actually not that bad uh you know, they will get probably not as quick as a maria to hedge, but you do get the added bonus of that winter colour with them. Now, the other great thing about Camellia sasanquas is you can keep them very, very narrow. So if you've got a spot down the driveway, for instance, or, uh, you know, between the pool and the fence, yep. uh, you can certainly yep. use Camellia sasanquas in that space there because you can keep them pruned down to, uh, you know, 600 to 800 wide. So they'll stay very, very narrow if you want them to. Uh, look, they're pretty tough as well. Not much really uh, gets, you know, up their goat. Uh, they might get a little bit of uh, mite on them every now and again. Uh, but, yeah, very, very easy plant to look after. Look, they've, I come from uh, China and Japan. Now they'll grow up very high, up to an altitude of about 900 metres, in fact. Uh, in Japan, they were first uh, used for uh, practical rather than decorative reasons. Uh, they actually use the, the leaves to make tea. That's where we get tea from, from camellia. So it's the same family? Yeah, it's the same, exactly the same family. Yeah, the camellia, uh, the one you actually use for tea, uh, sinensis, looks slightly different. You don't get the really nice flowers that you get on there, but that's where the uh, we get the uh, the sports and the hybrids from, where we get all these other wonderful flowers now. And, of course, there's also camellia japonicas. Uh, they're the bigger-leafed uh, uh, camellia, and you also get a, a much larger flower on those, and they will flower a little bit later on. Now, the difference with those is that typically they don't handle as much sunlight as uh, Sasanqua camellias. They've got the smaller leaves, the Sasanquas, and I guess that makes sense because the Japonicas have got the bigger leaf to absorb as much sunlight as they possibly can when it comes in. Uh, so they'll be more, uh, they'll be out in flower a little bit uh, later on in the year. But uh, the old rule of thumb with those is actually uh, the darker the colour flower, the more sunlight they'll actually. Uh, uh, tolerate. And that's for flowers, not leaves. Uh, that's for the leaves. So, so the if you've leaves, got a, a really yeah. deep red Japonica camellia, it will tolerate more sunlight than a white one. Uh, that being said, uh, when I lived out at New Lambton, I had a, a red one out in the full sun. Uh, didn't do particularly well. It never died. Uh, always just looked a little bit tatty uh, being in the full sun. So if you can get them out of the afternoon sun, and I guess that's the same with the Sasanquas, although they will tolerate being in the full sun, uh, you will get a better result out of them. Now, it always amazes 
amazes me that uh, some plants will grow to different heights depending on where you are. Mm. Um, and so when you say they'll grow quite tall, in some places they might be very tall, in some places... Yeah, and, and look, I, I guess it's, it's climatic. Um, so Sanqua camellias will grow pretty much anywhere in Australia around the coastline, uh, you know, right down to Victoria, uh, right up north. I guess once you get a bit past Brisbane, uh, you know, it starts to get a bit too humid on the coast for them. So up in those hinterland areas in Queensland, they'll grow very well. And of course, around over in Perth, uh, Adelaide, definitely down in Tasmania. Uh, once you get into the more arid climates, of course, uh, in the centre of Australia, not much is going to grow in there anyway. Uh, but certainly, you know, you know, right out to, uh, you know, Broken Hill and all those places where it gets nice and chilled for them, they'll still do very well out there. Mm, good for them. They're such a pretty plant mm. too. And Mark has rung in from Edgeworth about bougainvilleas. What would you like to ask Scott, Mark? Scott, what I'd like to ask you is that I've got a, a east, oh, sorry, a north wall of my house mm -hmm. with no windows on it. Yep. And I've put three bougainvilleas and I've put like pool fencing and screwed to the fence. I mean to the um, pool fencing, I've screwed to the wall. And I've got the best array of bougainvillea you've ever seen. I've put, I put three colours in. I put white, purple and red. Mm -hmm. Now, they, it's honestly getting out of control. <laughs> I didn't really think about it as I did it. But the wife's very unhappy. I'm out there right now cutting it out. And I was thinking of baby putting in the dwarf style in there because the I will admit it's the most prettiest thing that I'm cutting out now that I've ever seen. But it's just too much work. Do you know much about the dwarf size? Yeah, so you can get Bambino bougainvilleas. Now, the, tr the the great thing about those is that they were, I, I guess, uh, you know, cultivated to be more of a, a shrub than anything. So they only stay quite small. They only get to about a metre to a metre and a half. And they actually yep. stay more shrub-like than anything. They're very, okay. very compact. So they're not really going to do the job that you want it to do, which is to climb up the pool fencing and hide the wall. Yeah, okay. um, they are. Yeah. They can be a rogue plant, unfortunately, because they get very, very woody and they grow very, very quickly. Uh, so, yeah. I mean, even if you give it a really hard cut back and you know don't get any thorns in your fingers and that sort of stuff, yeah. and then uh, you know let it go again, and uh, just then, but then try and keep it under control before it goes rogue. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's when it's. So not... I'm down to the point where I'm getting down to the point where I've cut down like a rose, yeah. a rose bush at the moment. So it'd be best just to maybe just stop there and just let it go at this stage without putting a dwarf one in. You think? Yeah, look, definitely the the dwarf ones aren't aren't going to climb like you want it to and go up the wall to hide it. Yep. Yeah, they they really, look they're fantastic, good little plant. Uh, you know, in a garden bed, just as a nice little you know metre high shrub or so, uh, they'll tolerate really hot and dry conditions. I remember a customer uh, over in Katara who had them uh, in you know like grey or black pots facing west on a black driveway against a wall, and they just flowered and flowered. They did very very well. So you know they're they're good in those dry arid sort of conditions, uh, but yeah, unfortunately they're not going to climb for you. There are other plants. There are other sort of Softer plants you can get, Chinese star jasmine if you want to, diplodinias, uh, oh, mandevillas. Okay. They're, they're uh, far softer, and then you know, even though they grow quickly, they're far more easy to manage. You know, they don't get that really hard woodiness about them that a bougainvillea can get. The last, last thing on, on, on the dwarf size, mm -hmm. uh, I've seen them over at Eden Bunnings. I've seen them where they've got dwarf bougainvilleas. Now they're going to be all the same. That bambino, are they? They're yeah, going to be the same as them. There, there may There's be no a, halfway between the two, is there? There may be some other dwarf ones, but typically the ones that we see are the bambinos. So if you, if that's what you find, a bambino bougainvillea, it's not going to do what you want it to do. 
Okay. Yeah, look, and the other ones, they're probably, even though they're dwarfs, you know, they're still going to go a bit rogue on you. Okay. Yeah. So I'll take your advice and I'll cut it. How far back do you reckon I should cut it? Oh, look, you, you can, about a metre? Oh, you can cut bogues back pretty hard. Now, the trouble is at the moment, uh, Mark, is that they're not going to grow very much as we go into winter. So you're going yeah, to have a, bit of a, that, a yep. bit of a bare wall. But, uh, yep. look, don't be afraid because once it gets to spring and uh, summer again, it'll just take off again for you. Yeah, because it was pretty. I took some photos before I did the any cutting. <laughs> <laughs> okay, thanks, Scott. Okay, not a worry, Mark. Very good luck with that, Mark. And Steve has rung in four nine two one six two one six from Barnsley. Uh, you're you've got a great veggie garden, have you? And you're worried about the composting. Hello, Scott. Yeah, hey, Steve. How can we help you, mate? Mate, um, I decided I raise my veggie garden. Mm-hmm. Good for the back, <laughs> and I use lawn clippings. Pigeon droppings and dog and chook poo. Right. In veggie scraps. Yes. Um, now it's got cold, the worms have decided to go down to China. Right, okay. And it's now very slow. Okay. We'd, I've turned it over yesterday. Yes. And um, damp's still underneath, but no worms. Right, okay. It, it, it sounds like what you've created might be, you know, a little bit too uh, oh, how, thick, I guess. Let's put it that way. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah I, I think it might be a little bit compacted and thick. So you're probably going to have to try and aerate it with something to try and, you know, open up that, that, that soil again for you. Uh, look, and you can do that uh, even, you know, a couple of bags of potty mix, a couple of bags of cheap potty mix and mix that back through there because usually they're pine bark based. So you can see what I'm trying to get you to do to sort of aerate that soil again by putting gotcha. some, some larger, uh, you know, uh, pieces back in there. Uh, so, yeah, look, I think some, uh, you know, some cheap pine bark will be fine. Just make sure it's nice and barky. Not You don't want a really cheap sandy mix because that's going to, you know, no. just compact it again for you. Uh, and look, uh, steer clear of using... Uh, you know, for instance, the, the lawn clippings all of the time because that just will create a lot of nitrogen in the soil and uh, it won't necessarily... Did, be... um, instead of tipping them in there, I'll give it to the chooks and they can recycle it. Yeah, look, and that, that's a good way to do it. Uh, you, you, the other thing to do is add some cow manure in there every so often as well. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, because you don't want it to become, you know, too nitrogen rich in there and you don't want the uh, pH to become too alkaline. So adding some... Uh, uh, some cow manure in there it will actually lower the pH for you and uh, just give it, you know, because then you'll get different vegetables that you can grow in there. All of those things you're putting in there, uh, especially the, the lawn clippings and the poultry manure, it's going to the, the, you know, if you try and grow tomatoes in there, they're not going to flower and fruit so well for you. Ah, uh, that's what I was trying to get it ready for. Yeah, okay, so you, okay. Want, you want to get steer clear of that uh, now and just put some cow manure in there and, uh, yeah, I'll get some, a couple of bags of uh, cheap potty mix and mix those in there to try and just break it up a little bit. All right. Okay, excellent. Now, it's a time of year where we like to think of fairly warm places, so Tahitian line sounds like a great <laughs> thing to be talking about, Yvonne. <laughs> Yes, it does, doesn't it? <laughs> what's what's up with it, though, Yvonne? That's the only uh, reason you would have called us. Oh, uh, <laughs> yes. Hi, Scott. Uh, I've just I've got a Tahitian lime tree in the back, and it's grown. It's about over six foot high, and mm-hmm. it's about three foot wide, and my husband keeps pruning it. Mm-hmm. But all we get from it is about six to seven limes a year. It's not bearing. Uh, David Peterson from Walton Nursery told me to put a lot of potash in it. Yeah, that's correct, yeah. Yeah, which I did, but it's 
just not helping. So what else can I try? Now, tell me about your husband's pruning regime. When is he actually pruning it? I'll just, I'll just put him on Scott. Oh, okay. And you can talk to the devil himself. Okay. <laughs> I, I was going to say we're going to the, uh, you know, the font of all knowledge, but we will go, we'll go with the devil himself if you want. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Scott. Okay. Yeah, yes, Ron, my husband, Ron. Okay. Hey, Ron. How... Oh, hi, Scott. Ron, you, you sound like the guilty culprit here and you've been, uh, you've been well, put, my, uh, up, put up in the Scott, gallows. <laughs> look, it grows that huge and also that stink beetle comes in on it. I've just pruned it back. I, I say the length of what it prunes over six feet long. I've had to cut it right back because yeah. it just gets out of control, but no fruit. I, I reckon what's happening is you're pruning it back just prior to it flowering and fruiting. So effectively, you're stopping it doing that and, okay. and you often see that with maria hedges uh you know people hedge their maria hedge often and you know to keep it nice and you know square and that's why you don't see flowers on maria hedges very often because people are constantly pruning that flowering material off and i reckon that that's exactly what you're doing uh with your lime you're just pruning it constantly uh and you're actually pruning off that flowering material now what your wife's doing with the potash is fantastic keep on doing that uh, they like a bit of poultry manure every now and again, uh, but keep on doing the potash. Uh, you know, you can do it once a month if you want to, just to try and build that up in the soil. And uh, hopefully if you just stop pruning it, the time to prune it is after it's finished fruiting, and then you can go as much as you want. You go hard as you want then. Okay, well, thanks very much, uh, Scott. That's possible. As you said, that's what I'm doing wrong yeah, then because yeah. I just rip into it any time because it just gets out of control. <laughs> Look, and, let's not say you're doing it wrong because we don't want you to be in too much strife this afternoon. <laughs> <laughs> now, what do I do about this stink beetle? It comes just as all the new leaves are coming out and, oh, it's just a mass of these... I call them a stink beetle. I don't yeah, know the correct yeah. name. Uh, is a certain spray, I suppose, for that? Or yes. does it hurt to leave them on it? Yeah, look, it does hurt to leave them on it. So you're, you're right. They come on just before it flowers, unfortunately, and when all that new growth is coming on. And they love that new growth. It's nice and soft. They can get their little proboscis or their little whatever. It sticks into the leafy bit, and, and they suck all the sap out of the uh, out of the the brand new growth so if you watch them on there they'll be right up around the tips and you'll oh, see correct. it all start to wither away because they're in there having a good old feed now they are uh you can get rid of them uh it's a bit of a, a difficult situation though because when they're around uh usually the the plant's going to start uh, flowering and you want the bees to be there uh, pollinating as well so you have to be careful about spraying uh oh. you can use confidor if you want to uh, but again you have to be extremely careful because it uh, is harmful to the bees uh, oh. look at an age-old way uh, that I've heard about doing it, and apparently it works very well, is uh, just try and get yourself an old vacuum cleaner or a new vacuum cleaner for the house and uh, mm. use the old one, and mm. you actually go out there with the vacuum cleaner and you just suck them off. Uh, Jinx, thanks very much, yep. Scott, because I've got a couple of old vacuum cleaners here. So Yeah, perfect. Okay. So, Never uh, thought yeah, of doing that. Not, maybe not one of the, uh, what are the upright ones. So you can't do that because you'd be holding the whole vacuum cleaner up in the air, but one with a nice long tube, and yep. uh, just get in there and suck them away. Uh, look, I know it might be a little bit smelly when you're doing it, but, uh, you know, that's one way of getting them. You're not harming anything. Uh, you're certainly not harming any other insects, and uh, I think that's a, a really decent way to get rid of them. And as you said, after fruiting, then I can go for my life pruning it. Absolutely. You can get out the chainsaw if you want to. That's the way I, I prune them. Um, you can just go in and, and really get into it, and then you can give it a tidy up, of course, if you've decided to go that, uh, that brutal on it. But, uh, yeah, certainly yeah, go for it after it's finished uh, fruiting. 
Thanks very much, Scott. Okay. Here's a wife. <laughs> You'll be Scott. happy too, Yvonne, that, won't you? That's, that's all right, Yvonne. Look, your husband sounds absolutely fantastic. He's a, he's a top bloke and he's doing all the right things. And uh, look, I, yeah. you, you can't say anything bad to him because I don't know if you were listening or not, but Jane, Jane and I, I we, we read him the right act about what he's been doing. He's been oh, in, he's been in yeah. so much trouble. So don't you say another word to him. In fact, I'll probably no, go, I'll go pour him a beer. Oh, all right. Uh, no, he's got a nice vegetable garden and always had vegetables in it, you know. Ah, uh, see. And uh, he likes, and we've got mango trees and yep. curry leaf trees and everything, excellent, you excellent. know. Excellent, excellent. Yeah, so it sounds like so, you can almost uh, live off out there without uh, going to the shops. Yeah, quite, yeah, yeah, sometimes, <laughs> sometimes more than ever. Yeah, we yeah. give it to all the neighbours. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Lucky neighbours. Let's yeah, move in. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for your call, Yvonne and Ron. 49216216 to get your question through to Scott today. And while we're on pruning, can I just ask you about frangipanis? Yes, yes, you flagged this question, so you're going, let's see where it goes. <laughs> so when should you be pruning frangipanis? Is there a particular time that's better? Uh, frangipanis, I probably wouldn't prune them at this time now. Uh, it's just going to expose those ends to the cold. Uh, oh, actually, now, now let me think about this. Yes, okay, I would prune them now, in fact, because yes. the sap is going to stop running in them. But if you do them in spring or summer when the sap, sap starts to run, uh, then you're going to probably harm the tree a little bit more. So I would actually treat them as what they actually are. They're a deciduous tree. So I would treat them as a deciduous tree. And that's what you do with most deciduous trees. You prune them uh, in the middle of winter when the sap has stopped running. So should we be waiting till the leaves have fallen off? Uh, you, yes, probably, yeah. I'd wait till okay. the leaves have fallen off, okay. uh, so, you know, like mid-July or something like that. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, give it a, give it a prune then. You have to be careful about frangipani pruning because it does alter the shape of them. You get sort of funny fingers and things coming back and they don't come back as quickly as you think they're going to. Uh, it's a very slow-growing tree, so if you're going to do it, just be gentle. Don't okay. don't be like Ron. Don't be brutal. Okay, <laughs> be nice to it. Don't use the um, uh, what do you call it? The chainsaw. Don't use the chainsaw. No, I, that, <laughs> right. I definitely suggest not doing that. Okay, so four nine two one six two one six is the number for your question. That's the number that Bev rang in from Toronto on, and your question's about wood ash, Bev. Yes, from the fire. Um, just wanted to know if, um, well, what I can put it on in the garden because I've got lemon tree, orange tree, um, lemonade tree, pawpaws, tamarillo, uh, bananas, and uh, some veggies growing. I'm I'm thinking about this. I'm thinking it's not really going to have very much benefit at of all to the garden putting wood ash around. Uh, I would think that. You know, when we put mulch, when we put, you know, organic material on gardens, you know, it's breaking down and feeding the soil. And to my mind, and I, look, I've got to say, I'm no scientist. I'm no Brian Cox. I certainly don't look like he does either. And I certainly don't sound like he does. I would think that one, the burning process is actually going to break down, you know, anything, you know, that's going to be nutritious for the plants whatsoever. Uh, I'd, I'd have to think a little bit, do some more investigation about that, but I, I would think that it's not going to have very much benefit and using it, a lot of it is probably just going to, uh, you know, alter the, the pH characteristics of the soil as well. So, uh, look, if you're going to use it, use it very sparingly. Uh, I don't think it's going to have a great deal of, uh, of, of value to the, to the plants. Right. Okay. 
good. Okay, I'll, I'll do some research and I'll confirm that. But uh, yeah, that's just off the top of my head using a bit of a layman's um, thinking about it there. Mm -hmm. yeah. So. Find yes. find something else to do with the wood ash. The wood yes, ash unfortunately, from the fire. yeah, yeah. Be nice, wouldn't it, if it'd be useful in the garden as yes, well? Yes, I, I don't know that it will be, but we'll make some more investigations about it. Okay, thanks for the question, thanks, Beth. Beth. It's a good one. And what about coffee grounds? Are coffee grounds any good? Again, I think it's going to over time change the pH of the soil. So yes, they are organic. Um, you know, I don't think it has been altered as much as, as you know, burning. Uh, but again, I, I wouldn't overuse them. Yeah. I, I'm always wary. People, I've, I've heard people, uh, you know, go down to the lake and gather a whole lot of seaweed up as well. And you think, oh, well, yeah, look, okay, it's organic, but there's a whole lot of salt in there. And uh, as we, we know what the Romans did, mythically did to Carthage, they sowed salt into the, uh, into the soil so that it uh, could never be used again. I think that's what's going to happen to your garden if you were to use seaweed. So I'd probably steer clear of that as well. Right. No trip to the lake this mm. weekend. <laughs> it might be illegal taking seaweed from the lake as well. I'm sure it would be. <laughs> it's called seagrass these days, isn't it, if it's in the lake? Um, I, I suppose know. so, Because yeah. it's good. We have a question from Dennis, who's rung in from Singleton. Dennis, uh, it's about your soil, clay you're talking about. Yes, we've got clay and uh, all the ground's virtually solid clay. Mm -hmm. We want to put a few fruit trees in. I was reading about gypsum last night, but they say that can be part of their the answer, but not all of it. Yeah, look, it can be part of the answer. Uh, I mean, uh, really, Dennis, unfortunately, you need to get some organic material back into the soil there, and you need to get worms into the soil because they, you know, move around, they eat it, it you know, goes through them, and that aerates the soil. So, uh, look, gypsum is a good way. A bit of elbow grease as well, uh, you know, digging those holes that you're going to put the plants in a whole lot bigger and breaking it up, putting some other soil in there, some, uh, you know, import some soil in and stick it in there. And uh, mix the gypsum into the to the bottom of the hole as well. Uh, look, unfortunately, there's no easy answer with clay. Uh, it is a whole you know raft of things. Like you've probably already found out, it's the gypsum. It's you digging, getting some more extra organic material in there, and trying to uh, get the worms back into the area. There are liquid clay breakers as well you can use, mate. Uh, they they work very very well. Uh, okay. So you uh, you get those and you just water those in the soil in around the area. Uh, so what sort of uh, trees are you going to put in? Oh, it's just uh, we've got a couple of citrus trees that are in pots at the moment. Mm -hmm. uh, I'd like to put them in the ground because we've got two acres here, so it's yeah. can spread it around. I was thinking of putting an apple and um, yeah, a couple of maybe a pear or something. Yep. You know, yep. So, so they'll they'll do really well up there uh, in Singleton. Uh, now with the citrus, they don't like wet feet, so uh, you know that especially with those, you're going to have to dig the holes out as big as possible. Now the other way to do it, if you want to, you can actually raise, you know, dig a hole out, but actually raise it up too, um, and have a mound of dirt, and then you can mulch over the top of that and plant the plant into that. Uh, that helps a bit of drainage, so uh, you know that the citrus aren't necessarily going to be sticking their roots straight out into the into the soil. Clay isn't very good for feeding the plants either. There is not you know much nutrient in there. Uh, for the for the trees, so uh, you know that's another reason to try and break it up and try and uh, you know get those organic materials in there. Manures, uh, you know, poultry manure in there. Anything you can try and do just to to get some uh, worms back into the soil and working their magic. Okay, and uh, we do our own kitchen composting, mm -hmm. so that sort of. Um Compost is all right in yeah. around them as well. Absolutely. Beautiful stuff. Um, you know, the worms will love that. They'll get into that um, and, you know, that'll do the job for you. All right. 
good. Thank you very much. And look, if you've got the area and you've got access to uh, a little bit of machinery of some sort, uh, you could certainly get, uh, you know, like a little long arm, you know, like a little excavator in there and just break up the soil in that area and then get some other soil dumped there at the same time and get them to sort of, you know, mix it around and break it up and get the gypsum into that as well. You can see what I'm trying to say. You don't want to have that big solid clump. You want to try and break it into manageable things. So even, you know, the roots of the plant can sort of get down through those fissures and get, and get into something a little bit decent. Uh, so if you have got access and the space to get, you know, some sort of machinery in there to do the job you might as well go for that. Okay. A quick question, if I may. Mm -hmm. uh, we've also planted a couple of raspberries and a uh, loganberry. Yeah. Um, what sort of soil is good for them? Uh, so they're like a slightly acidic soil, so uh, you'd be needing to add cow manure as much as possible into that area. Okay, great. Excellent. Thanks. Thank you very much. Cheers. Thanks, Thanks for your call, Dennis. And, uh, oh, you wanted to comment on wood ash at this stage, Scott. Oh, yes. I thought, yes. So we, so we have done a little bit of research. Uh, we went into the Encyclopedia Britannica and thumbed around. We blew off the cobwebs and stuff like that. Uh, look, as I thought, uh, you just have to be careful uh, using wood ash. It can uh, add potassium and uh, magnesium back into the soil, but it will drastically alter the pH. So only use very, very small amounts of it. Uh, if you're going to do it, you certainly wouldn't be using it every night after the fire. You might just go get a couple of shovelfuls and sort of sprinkle it around. Uh, so if you've already got alkaline soil, uh, don't go using it then because it's just going to raise the pH even more. Uh, it's if you've got extremely acidic soil, that's when you might use it uh, a little bit to try and, uh, you know, get the pH up. Gardening talk back on 2NURFM and, well, lime trees are in the minds of us today. Michael's rung in from Abermain. You've got uh, something you'd like to ask Scott about a lime tree, Michael. How can we help you with it, Michael? Uh, Scott, yes. uh, just uh, talking about uh, pruning lime trees, I've got a lime tree that's continuously fruiting, <laughs> probably, probably three or four crops a year. Yeah, so the, so you're you're doing very very well. Uh, look, usually the main cropping season for a lime is in you know February and March, mm -hmm. and so once that cropping season, and if you need to prune it back, that's when you'd give it a prune back after that. Yeah, well, like I say, I've got I've just picked heaps and heaps of limes, and now I've got limes about the oh. Well, the size of a golf ball. Yeah, yeah. Look, you might find that they won't uh, ripen up as as well as you want they them to. They have done in previous years. Oh, okay. Well, yeah. <laughs> you, usually in winter, you know, they're just not going to ripen up as well. Yeah. But if, you, if you're getting them to do it, don't don't go, uh, you know, cutting it or anything like that. We might even uh, give you a von, you know, tell you where a von. Uh, she can raid, come up and raid your limes on you. <laughs> <laughs> so it must no, be... No, what, what, what I do, I do just check the uh, limbs that have borne the fruit. I don't touch anything that's mm -hmm. got new fruit on it. Yes. And just check the ones that's had the fruit and, and go from there. But I don't do any heavy pruning. Yeah, and so that that's creating new material there for um, for the flowers to come onto. So you, look, yeah. citrus are always going to fruit on the new growth. It just depends when you do it, uh, and that's mm. why I say you can go as hard as you want with the citrus because it's always going to be new growth that comes on, and yep. that's where you're going to get the fruiting. And often you go out to people's places, and you know they, they've got lemon trees three or four meters tall. They've never pruned them. All this beautiful <laughs> fruits up the top, but it's not because it just ripens and drops to the ground and, and rots, and then you get fruit oh, yeah. flies and all those sort of things. So I think pruning a citrus tree to, you know, just above head height and keeping yeah. it at that, you'll always get plenty of fruit off it and it keeps it at a nice manageable level for you. That's 
that sounds good. Yeah. Okay, I thought I'd just mention it because it is fruiting and we do get fruit two or three times a year. Yeah, excellent. <laughs> Fantastic. It must be in a really good spot must too. Be. Um, now, uh, just um, quickly, we did have Warren from Rutherford who wanted to start a veggie garden at this time of year. Can we give him some general oh, advice Oh, yeah, look, it's, it's fine to start a veggie garden at this time of year. Uh, look, you'd add poultry into it at this time of year because uh, the, the type of vegetables you're going to be growing are, you know, cabbage, cauliflower, all those sort of leafy vegetables. Uh, once you get into spring, that's when you start adding cow manure to your vegetable garden because you want to start growing tomatoes at that time of year and chilies. Uh, so, yeah, so look, you can certainly do that now, and there's plenty of winter vegetables out there that will grow very nicely for you. Grow me some uh, Brussels sprouts if you want, Warren. I love them. <laughs> Brussels sprouts Yay. with a little bit of butter and some nutmeg. Go the Brussels sprout. Yeah. Now, do you do them in the microwave or do you steam them? I steam them. Ah, all good. Yep. Well, uh, we're just about getting to the end, but we've still got a little bit of time. That was something else you wanted to talk about, I think. Oh, yes. Uh, now, I was going to talk about, uh, we're going to talk about the uh, honeybees there. Just, yes. Yes, and just what uh, some Japanese researchers have been trying to do. Ah, Yes. Yes, so I'll, I'll, I'll just do that very quickly. So, look, obviously we're always talking about bees here on the program and, and chemicals, and I try and recommend that you don't, you know, you don't spray, uh, you know, to keep those bees uh, growing out there because we want them to fertilise our plants, uh, you know, to pollinate our plants for us. Uh, so you have to be careful about spraying. Uh, and, look, bees have other problems as well. Not in Australia, fortunately. There's uh, parasitic uh, mites that have been, you know, decimating bee populations across the world. They're not here in Australia yet uh, so we just have to be particularly vigilant about that we have had some invasive uh, asian honeybees up in north queensland and have done some damage up there uh, but fortunately they got uh, that under control so we didn't get those parasites uh, here in australia so uh, you know and i think uh, you know there has been some research done about you know hives being lost across the world and i think it's a, a, a you know a whole lot of different factors in there but chemical spraying is one of them so if your plants in flower and you're seeing uh, bees around there you know try not to spray then because obviously it's going to do uh, some harm. Uh, the Japanese ever being uh, as clever as they can be, they've actually been trialling little mini drones going around with a sort of gel, gel on them that goes into the flower and uh, gets the pollen and uh, goes back out and then pollinates the next flower. I don't know how successful it's going to be. Uh, Sounds amazing. It does, but drones are taking over the world so it uh, may take over the work of bees but we like our bees. And that's Gardening Talkback for today. Thank you very much, Scotty Sharp. Thank you. And we'll talk in two weeks' time. Next week is, of course, the long weekend. Of course, I forget. Gardening Talkback on 2NURFM. Thanks for listening to this podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle. Topics range from gardening to health, well-being, pet care, finance, business and travel. You'll find them all at 2NURFM.com. <laughs>